Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute, or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith, and this is episode 69. (laughs) We are children. Uh, I am Sarah Buddery, uh, and we have a guest this week, delighted to be joined by a super fan of the pod, uh, I would say, Uh, mostly because listened to the most amount of episodes quicker than i think anyone else has done so you earn that title uh welcome to the show chris hood how are you doing chris i'm very good thank you and honored to be on episode 69 i mean we, we can't let a number like that go by especially because i'm a frankie goes to hollywood fan and 69 brings up all sorts of amazing images for us you don't want to let it that out. <laughs> no no look uh i in our show notes i put in brackets uh, a childish laughter uh, after the episode number because uh, I, it felt correct. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 already I can see the title of the episode shouting out us, Bruce say, <laughs> relax, don't do it. <laughs> a contender and we're only a minute or so in. Uh, yes, uh, hopefully this is setting the tone for the rest of the episode uh, I, I really was kicking around the idea of just naming this episode episode 69 <laughs> <laughs> presented without comment episode yep. 69 yeah yep. <laughs> well uh <laughs> before we get into talking about this week's scene uh chris of course you know how this goes we've got to ask you the jaws question so what is it about jaws that uh that you love so much and and brought you to a minute by minute podcast about it Okay, thanks very much, and thank you very much for uh, inviting me on, although to some degree I feel as though I've sort of coerced it and pushed you into taking on <laughs> badges you so many times. Um, although we don't have videos on and everybody would be listening to this as a podcast, as I say this next bit, everybody needs to picture MJ rolling his eyes. Because I can tell everybody the first time I saw Jaws was sitting down watching it being shown on BBC, no, ITV TV, 8th of October, 1981. Like so many British people, so many people have been on this podcast. I think we can actually name the date. We can Google it and double check that first time it was shown on TV. And I'm sorry, I've been about 10 years old. And that's all about I really remember watching it the first time was sitting down, my dad said this is going to be something special. Um, we sat down to watch it together. Other than that, my, I only have two memories of watching it, that, maybe three memories of watching it that evening. One, he told me off for swearing when we get to the scene with uh, the holiday roast being taken away. Um, the other bit that I remember was that um, I saw the full thing, so I saw Ben Gardner's head pop out. That would be the last time that would happen for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. And I, as will come up, I think, when we start talking about this episode, I think this is the first time, not only do I, that I got to learn about the Indianapolis, but it may be about the first time I'd ever heard about the bombing of Hiroshima as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my memories 
of seeing it that first time. Um, but back in the day, um, we only had, I mean, back in 1981, we still only had three TV channels, I think, but we had a video recorder. My mum was a teacher, so we actually we actually had Betamax to start off with um, and then got VHS, but we had a video recorder quite early on. Um, I think the idea being so my mum could record stuff for classes or whatever. And so when Jaws was on, I don't think it would have been that first time. It would have been soon after that, though, because um, it did start getting repeating very regularly because it was such a ratings hit. Um, I recorded it off TV along with three other films and it became a religious experience for me um, very much so because the only day of the week that I didn't go to school I went to private education was a Sunday and so every Sunday I would watch at least one of these films um, Jaws being the one I probably watched the most um, when I say I watched Jaws many of these Sundays it was Jaws brackets but coincidentally when it got to the Ben Gardner head drop scene I would need to pop out and go and get a snack at that stage or need to pop to the <laughs> toilet and I would come back and oh dear I've missed it again what a shame um and then sort of just went on for years and years I mean I don't think it's I mean literally I don't think it's until I got into my 40s by which time I'm, I'm an academic doing research about plane crashes seeing lots of photographs of some very horrid images of real people who died in plane crashes and train crashes and so on that I thought, well, I can probably now cope with seeing Ben Gardner pop out again. Um, that also, that I have to say, whenever I watch it now, I just hear MJ saying, getting Hooper to say, hello back, young man, after you made that comment in one of the episodes. And I'm sorry, it, it has kind of um, ruined the scene for me a little bit at one level, but at another level, I can now get through it. So thank, thank you for that. Yep. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to it. Um, I have a vague memory of watching Jaws on holiday in the south of France, but actually it may have been Jaws too. The great thing about this was it was at a campsite. We were outside. It's one of these places where you take your own chairs and stuff. Huge screen outside. And it was a lovely clear night. And so when Jaws appears, he appears with the stars all around him. So I think on that basis, Jaws, or it could have been Jaws 2, now classifies as a space movie as well. Um, <laughs> But also, it always reminds me that I love the French title of the film, which is Les Dons de la Mer, which means the teeth of the sea, which I just think has got such a much more poetic mm. um, ring to it than just Jaws. Mm. Um, like many people who've been on the podcast, I had issues with going in the seawater. I've never had one of those ones, as far as I remember, where toilets and bars became an issue. But um, swimming in the sea definitely became a no-no. And when we, we had a boat for a while in South France, and one time we were on the boat and we had dolphins going along next to me. And my parents were getting so excited, going, look, look, dolphins, dolphins. And I'm going, where there are dolphins, there are often sharks. Dolphins come to protect <laughs> humans from sharks. This is not a good sign. Get these dolphins away from me. I, 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 I feel as though I completely missed out on sort of a nice Saint, Sir David Attenborough moment, uh, thanks to Jaws right there. Um, <laughs> And, I mean, there are various other stories to do with sort of coming across the water. My mum tells me that she was reading the Alex Kintner scene in the book when we were on the beach one time, and I came to ask if I could go in the water at about the time she was reading that scene. Now, I recently read the book for the first time, and that scene does not play out in the book as it does in the movie. So I think there's a missed memory in there somewhere, but she was definitely reading the book around that time. Mm -hmm. Roll forward, and... Um, 2017, um, I went to Martha's Vineyard with my family. 
Mm. And so traveled around many of and saw many of the places where the film was made. Um, one of the happiest days in my life, I should say, um, going across Jaws Bridge, going to the main beach, just walking around the town and being bowled over by it basically looks the same as it did in the movie. Mm. And yet mm. time had moved on by 40 years or so. Um, so that was kind of really got me back into Jaws things a lot more. Um, and then, of course, in the last six months or so, we've had in Britain, The Shark is Broken came on at the theatre, which I've now seen twice. And the second time managed to meet the actors and get their signatures and so on. Um, your amazing podcast. And the second time I went to see The Shark is Broken, I'd coincided on a day where they were also doing um, a screening of Jaws at the cinema. I'd never seen Jaws at the cinema in my life, proper cinema. Um, so I did that, and they also had a Q&A with the actors from The Shark is Broken at the end. Um, and it was just so great to see at cinema. You, you see and hear things um, that you don't spot in on the screen. And I don't think you fully covered this yet in the podcast, but... I am now 99.9999% certain Pippet lives. Yes. Uh, the, 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 there is a scene, uh, I think it's, uh, I've got the time written down somewhere. Let me just double check it. One hour, three minutes and four seconds into the film when Brody is about to, is about to run across the bridge um, after the attack in the pond and you see a dog sitting on the bridge and having seen the dog on a massive screen at a cinema, I am now basically certain that is Pippet. Um, it yes. looks the same dog collar and everything. So Pippet lived, which is great, other than the fact that I've referred to Pippet dying in an academic article. So actually, my article is incorrect, but I'll, I'll, I'll live with it because it's just nice that Pippet lived. There you go. Absolutely. I've already waffled for far too long. <laughs> I've got plenty more I can talk about, um, but uh, maybe some of that will drop into later on in the podcast. Yeah, definitely. And this, uh, uh, someone else being on my side in terms of Pippet uh, being alive and well is music to my ears because my uh, uh, rule generally is that if a dog dies or is in peril in a film that I immediately have to take at least half a star off depending on how severe it is. Um, and I've always been like, but Jaws is the exception to that because one, it happens off camera. Two, I don't think that Pippet really dies. So I am uh, very happy now that someone else uh, shares shares my beliefs uh, that, that Pippet is in fact alive and well. The picture evidence is there. Uh, I've I I also just dropped it for you into Discord as well. If you yeah. assume right in the middle of the picture, there is Pippet. And unless yeah. someone is actually one of the actors on that bridge and can say, no, actually, this is a different dog, this is definitely Pippet. <laughs> I know there are other black dogs and all the rest of it, but that is Pippet. Once you see it yeah. on the cinema screen, it's obvious. Mm -hmm. It is Pippet in our hearts, at least, even if not the actual same dog, but what we like to It's believe. the same dog. No, no, no. Don't, yep. Let's not start putting any doubt in this, Sarah. <laughs> you are doing really well. Let's not start backtracking. This is Pippet. That, that's all. That's enough. Confirmed. <laughs> Um, I, let's uh, let's get started uh, talking about this week's scene because it's a really, really great scene, uh, as is every scene in Jaws, and I know we're going to have uh, tons to say about it. Um, I don't know if uh, I just 
copied it over without realizing but i think this is back to back weeks now that the the length of the scene has been one minute and 38 seconds um well i know spooky right because i i hide the next row the row that we've done on our spreadsheet so i don't get confused with upcoming episodes and ones that we've recorded but i didn't copy over the the length of time uh this week and then i just saw it was I think the same as last week. Can't confirm that until I listen back to it, and who knows when that's going to be. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> the timestamp of this week's scene is from 1 hour 45 minutes and 43 seconds uh, to 1 hour 47 minutes and 21 seconds. So that is, uh, again, 1 minute 38 seconds um, of the film. Um, so it starts off uh, right as Quint throws uh, the the knife, the machete, into the side of the orca. Um, I was very cruel for not including that in last week's scene, but we get to talk about it now. Uh, and then he is still insisting that the shark can't go under uh, with three barrels attached to him. Uh, we see the barrels in pursuit of the boat again. Um, they disappear and then there is sort of a prolonged moment of silence really as they assess what is happening the the barrels have gone down and they're just trying to figure out what to do next basically uh brody is is on the deck uh using the pump to try and get out the water he abandons that uh heads up to the others and then we get this great moment the boat suddenly lurching to the side and the shark appears from underneath the boat uh, and then Quint says that they're going to lure them uh, or lure the shark into the shallows. And Brody is very, very happy about this uh, to hear that they might finally be heading back home. Okay, lots to talk about, I'm sure. Uh, as our guest, Chris, you get to kick us off this week. So what is something uh, that you spotted or that you liked about this scene? I've got so, so much. And I'm, I'm sorry, you two guys, <laughs> you, you can just put your feet up and go to sleep for the next hour. I mean, I've got so much to talk about. I mean, this is such a great minute or thereabouts. Um, I'm obviously alongside the other 123 minutes or thereabouts, but there's just got so much. I mean, I love the build up to it. So the, the scene you would have had last week where I just picture the shark now going, I mean, as they're basically, I think they're just crouching at the back of the boat, just disappearing, going around the boat going, yeah, I've got you where I want you now, just having a nice little sing song to himself. And then the thing we're looking at this week, it starts off with that brilliant moment with the knife going in. It's, I think it's only because he starts studying it minute by minute and a lot slower in a, in a situation like this that you realise that this may not have been done on the first take. Um, if you look closely there are two at least uh, two more cuts into the side of orca where the, where a knife looks as though it's been thrown in now obviously mm -hmm. this could have been sort of quint does this on a regular basis kind of thing but part of me thinks that maybe the actor didn't quite get it right the first time round or something so they took a couple of shots at it um but as the scene goes on there's just so much that i love where they don't try to perfect stuff so the boat engine doesn't start straight away it it's it sort of takes a while for it to kick into action it just reminds me of when i used to have a clapped out old mini my first ever car where it's just guaranteed the engine is not going to start the first time you, you're sort of forcing it a little bit before it gets going they, they could have just had the engine switch on um mm. but they don't um i love the fact that 
effectively I get to talk about the Indianapolis. I missed out on Indianapolis month because I didn't even know the podcast existed, I think, at that stage, and I was having to play catch up. But we get to talk about the Indianapolis today because we get a basically a recreation of the attack of the Indianapolis, albeit Quint says there were two torpedoes that took out the Indianapolis, and here we've got three barrels, but it's basically the same setup. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also love it that when all this is happening, as the shark disappears, the music disappears as well. Yeah. Um, mm. The silence, I just think, is brilliant. And it reminds me of the um, submarine scene in Crimson Tide, where the submarine is just going out to sea. And um, I can't remember the name of the guy now. Um, he turns to the Gene Hackman. Gene Hankman, I mean, he's obviously not called Dan Film, turns to Denzel Washington and sort of says, this is my favourite moment of the day, and you just have this silence. And then Gene Hackman sort of congratulates Denzel Washington and sort of saying, well done, and just keeping quiet and no smart-ass comments or anything like that. Um, I just think the silence is so good. I would be tempted to say this is the quietest moment in the whole movie, even quieter than like when Chrissy's out at the water and we sort of cut back to Tom on the beach and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. um, I may be wrong on this. I mean, if only we knew somebody who specialises in sound stuff and could go through and check a whole movie <laughs> to tell us which is the quietest moment. But I feel as though this could be it. But I also have to say massive sort of credit to you two and... Um, doffing my cap and all the rest of it. The number of times you've told us to listen to a film on headphones, and I have listened to Jaws on headphones, but usually when I'm, if I'm watching it on a mobile device, something like, if I'm on an aeroplane, where there's a lot of background noise, prepared for this time, I listened to it on headphones and realized that when I thought there was total silence, there's actually not total silence. You can hear still the waves lapping against the orca, and, and this is the bit you really don't hear unless you're using headphones, you can still hear the ticking over. The, it's like a purring cat of the engine mm -hmm. still in the background. You do not get that even in the cinema, I don't think. Um, mm. So I really love that. I love the looks of the three guys, the total looks of confusion and what is going on. Um, <laughs> particularly Hooper. I mean, Hooper is just like looking around manically everywhere, although he doesn't ever look up. So he's mm -hmm. clearly come to the conclusion the shark does not fly, um, but he looks in every other direction. Um, this is obviously a mistake he would not learn from when it came to close encounters, um, although maybe he's not Hooper in that film. I don't know. It's a long time since I've seen it. Um, <laughs> there's a tiny bit of foreshadowing, I think, here as well, which I didn't pick up on before. Some of the movement when Hooper is very rapidly changing, looking from left to right, it reminds me of how he moves around very quickly in the um, shark cage. Um, the same mm. sort of, where's it gone? Where is it? Kind of thing. Um, so those are some of the basic, some of the key things that jumped out to me to start off with. I think there are some issues with what does Quint say at one point? Because um, Hooper very clearly asks, at least in the English version, I've also been checking the Japanese version. So one thing that I may not have mentioned in the introduction so far is that I, I, I'm a specialist in Japan. I do academic articles on a lecture at University of Japan. Um, I speak Japanese. I've been on the Jaws ride in Universal Studios Japan. Okay. In the movie, Hooper clearly says, you ever had one do this before? Now, according to the written script, uh, one of the prints I've seen, it says, Quint says, I don't know. According to one set of subtitles I've seen, it says no. 
But to me, neither of those work because I don't know make doesn't make sense because Coop is asking Quint a direct question to which I would have thought he'd know the answer. No is not long enough for the lip movement. I've tried to lip read. I'm not a lip reader, but to me, it looks like more like hell no. Um, I'm, but I, I'm not sure. Um, but from what I can see, there's a few changes to the scripts that goes on here when I've been trying to do the comparison. Um, there's also, I think, one of the most useless bits of script in here when the shark appears and hits the hits the boat and Quint shouts out, hold fast. It's just like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't think you needed to warn people about this. But I think this is the bit where I really want us to hit the brakes and pause and talk in this scene. I think it's a key moment. The looking down from the top of the boat and seeing the shark appear mm -hmm. is just such a fabulous moment. And if anybody ever dares tell me that the shark does not look realistic, just take a screenshot of that moment and tell me that doesn't look amazing because I've watched it so many times and every time I think they've superimposed it, haven't they? They've got a real yeah. shark here and superimposed. <laughs> it's not. This This is one of the models when it finally works. I mean, the, yes, there's an error because you can't see any of your barrels attached. There's no even ropes coming out to the back of it. But I don't care. That shark looks incredibly realistic, much better than any CGI could ever do. And I still think the main reason why people moan about whether the shark looks realistic or not in Jaws is because they haven't actually ever met a shark and they don't actually know what they really look like. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think it's a great scene. And I think there's a key moment in this scene. Correct me if I'm wrong. You two are the experts on this. Is this the first time since we've gone out to sea with the three of them where we see land again? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I've got that written down in my notes, so I'm fairly, fairly yeah, certain. So. And as yeah, so and I hope we're, it we're, is. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're getting closer to the shore, which obviously is critical for the final bit of the whole movie. Um, the one thing that I couldn't spot on land, I was looking out for them, I couldn't see them, but I was expecting to see two old men sitting on the beach with their binoculars, watching what's going on, <laughs> maybe with a telephoto lens, possibly even placing bets on who's going to get eaten next. Um, but I think the takeaway thing from this scene is we've got a completely change, a massive change now with the shark, where it's gone from the shark is being chased by these three guys to, I mean, obviously we, we get the iconic line from Hooper saying, I don't believe it, he's chasing us. Basically, the shark has now got road rage. He comes out, he bumps them, thinks, no, that wasn't enough. They've been so rude to me. I'm going to get these guys. I am now going to tailgate them all the way into the shore. He has got serious road rage. <laughs> yeah, this is where the similarities to, to Jewel come into it, right? That was... Uh... Mm -hmm. The, the trucks were the, were the shark in, uh, in that film. I mean, he's, but... practically, he's practically tooting a horn as he goes. I mean, he, he's gone yeah. from <laughs> whistling a happy tune in the previous scene you looked at when he's going by with three barrels, sort of thinking, yeah, I know where you are. I've got you in my mm -hmm. sights. To, no, I'm going to get you guys. He's tooting what? his horn. The air horn's going off everything. He is <laughs> really a Getting to shore and sitting in a diner looking around like, which one of these people is the shark? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, you saying uh, as well that like two people sat on the beach like looking out. I am just absolutely picturing that is Charlie and Den Herder, uh, who have just been like watching this whole thing unfold like from, well, <laughs> from the beach. Easy, it? Well, I, 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 I think I think <laughs> Charlie and Den Herder. Yeah, I think Charlie and Den Herder. I mean, they'd, they'd be watching the guys with the binoculars. They're actually there with a loudspeaker calling out, "Can you ask him for the holiday roast back?" <laughs> By the way, yeah. in terms of the holiday roast, 
I'm going to throw up a theory here because I know that um, MJ, you said that having a holiday roast for Fourth of July is not a thing. I don't think that's the holiday they're referring to. I think on an island like this, which needs summer money, this is the only time of year where they know they got money. So I think the wife mm. goes out and buys the Christmas roast or mm. the Thanksgiving roast at that time of year when they know there's money in the bank and sticks it in the freezer. I think that's the holiday roast that maybe they've gone for, but maybe I'm just being overly sort of, don't you dare criticise Jules. I will find you an excuse if I need to. Kind of <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good theory. I... Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we don't see whether the holiday roast was defrosted or not, but I mean, it was definitely quite chunky and looked quite hard. But as I said, I, based on what I've been reading about sort of through the books like Jaws Log and everything and what, what it's like on Martha's Vineyard, let alone what Amity would be like, I just think that maybe, um, wow, um, I just think that um, maybe this was the wife being prepared and getting the roast and for Christmas and sticking in the freezer. Mm. But anyway, back to this mm. week's scene. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot uh, there's a lot to unpack in this scene. So I think we can we can really drill into some of these things that that you've mentioned, Chris. And I want to talk about that that shot of the 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 knife or the machete in the the side of the orca. I just think it's such a great shot, and I. Uh, the 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 narrative that I'm creating in my head is that there are other notches in the side of the boat because this is something that Quint does often, <laughs> like mm. just whenever slight bit of frustration at uh, you know not getting the catch or he's run out of beer or something something has happened he just like chucks the knife into the side of the boat uh, so I <laughs> that's the that's the story I'm going with on that one but. I, yeah, I, I one thing I really love that you mentioned. I wrong. think the um, I think you mentioned like the sound of the the engine idling. Um, you can really hear it in in that bit. And what I love is that the the knife is kind of quivering at the same time as well. So that with the sound of the the engine sort of ticking over or, or idling or trying to get it started, it just has a really cool effect of the thing you're seeing on the screen matching up to the thing that you're hearing, but they're also two unrelated things. I just think it's uh, a really, really great shot. And the the water behind as well is so still, so calm and so, so serene. It's actually quite unnerving because you would expect, you know, this sort of the shark is is playing with them. And I think we mentioned this in last week's episode uh, or maybe week before that, but the shark is kind of toying with them and is, you know, it's this tit for tat uh, schoolboy games that they're playing with each other now with the the guys on the boat and, and the shark, they're sort of playing with each other at this point. And it, the, was it last week, MJ? Like the, the wave crashing was like so loud or it might've been the week before. Yeah, I think that was last week. Yeah, and it was just like deafening almost. Like I remember having to turn the volume down in my headphones. So then just like seeing this really calm bit of water behind that knife, I just think is quite unnerving and hinting as well that this knife is going to have an important part to play later on, which it does is the you know the weapon that Quint has with him when when the shark takes him. So really focusing on that shot of that knife i think is very important for what comes later and it's the fact you've got yeah, the I sun mean... there as well blinding you almost isn't mm. it so 
you, it, means, it means you can't see what's beneath the surface, even though we know the shark is actually just off the boat. We just, I mean, it's literally just gone out of sight. It's not that far away, but it just makes the water even that much more ominous, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's brief but and early, um, but what a performance by Danny Trejo in this scene. Because um, he's machete. <laughs> I got it. It took me a minute. <laughs> do, do I, uh, shall I go? I, I think I'll, I'll give that a well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's about what it deserved, if that. Uh, <laughs> with as flat as that went. That went a lot differently in my head. Um, so, uh, you know. And the great thing about that is I am not going to learn my lesson to not say something like that in the future. Um, Why we tune in? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, also, I can confirm that uh, this week's scene is the same length as <laughs> last week's scene. Mm -hmm. There he is. And all his glory. Yeah. Um, it is a minute and thirty-eight seconds. Um, huh. but but I do uh, I do like this shot quite a bit. I mean, I was you know very sad we didn't get to talk about it last week, but also very happy we get to talk about it now. Um, I just think it's one. It just looks cool. It's just a cool looking shot. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like this is sort of a repeat of you guys reading in. Uh, some very good meaning to it and me uh, just saying shark big but like knife cool um, where it it's 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 very subtle it's very quick but it, it establishes like a lot of what's to come you know it's it's you know it putting the importance on it does sort of make it Chekhov's machete now you know mm -hmm. it it says hey what you know why did we uh uh, uh dedicate a whole shot to that and it's purposeful it's it's not without um anything you know it's like it's like in kiss kiss bang bang when he makes the joke about uh they show something i don't remember what they show and he's like okay what a, what a dumb shot he's like uh he's like you know that's going to come back later the narration says this the narration says you know that's going to come back later mm -hmm. in the story it's like the shot of fucking hunt for red october um and that's that's kind of what this is too is it's like okay we wouldn't just take the time i mean we are uh, pun very intended, barreling towards the end of this movie now, and mm -hmm. every shot matters, and the momentum of, of the climax of your film, I, I would say your film lives and dies by the momentum that it has. So, the way this climax of, of them getting the three barrels under the shark through the end ebbs and flows is so masterful. I mean, last week was chaos, right? We talked about how fast paced it was. The editing's mm -hmm. very uh, 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 frenetic. And this week it's a lot calmer until it's not, but then it gets calmer again. And it just, it there's a, there's a wild arc to this week's scene mm -hmm. that it, it feels out of control, but it's perfectly in control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I feel as though this is sort of. I mean, obviously, because they're out at sea, you can't have sort of drawing a line in the sand kind of thing. But I feel as though the machete going in here is like the equivalent of that. It's just like mm. 
don't even think about coming any closer than this. Mm-hmm. This this is our boat. Just go away and road rage. Bruce is thinking <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I do have the image of like the shark as like a truck driver now with like a little cap mm-hmm. and it's really very funny oh, to me. Yeah. <laughs> just like bashing his fins on the like the the horn of the car just getting real mad about the the traffic. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the silence I think in this scene is I mean I think I I mentioned or, or maybe it was you Chris but the silence in this scene just being deafening and it's so long Mm. as well and i i like you have sort of only ever heard it as just absolute silence before but with headphones you do sort of hear the the orca sort of sounding like this living breathing thing still like the engine just sort of slowly ticking over and the waves but it's very quiet compared to the particularly the chaos of last week's scene but i wanted to check like how many seconds of silence it is so this might not be exact but basically from the moment that the you see the barrels and then they go under uh, through to when Hooper says uh, you ever had one do this before and kind of breaks the silence. It's around 26 seconds and we're really in like the throes of like the last bit of the film now. We're into like the last 15 minutes and MJ, you said, you know, not not a second is wasted and not a shot is wasted and it's another editor maybe would just be like do we need 26 seconds of silence like it's quite a long time but nothing is it's not like nothing is happening in that moment you get that great bit of hooper just kind of looking around like everywhere and it always blows my mind this bit in the film like how much there still is to come we still have freaking hooper going into the cage to to cover and quince death like it's wild how much this film packs into the last 15 minutes and yet makes time for this almost 30 seconds worth of just stillness and it's so perfect it's absolutely nerve shredding i don't think until i watched it today i realized how nerve shredding this moment is and you mentioned Chris about seeing it in the cinema as well for the, for the first time. And I've seen it in the cinema a couple of times, but I, I saw it with some friends who had never seen it in the, in the cinema. And I, or I just don't think I'd seen it at all when I made them watch it for the first time in the cinema. Cause I'm cruel. Um, but the, this bit, the bit when the, the boat suddenly lurches and it, it makes this sort of loud, like whirring noise or kind of creaking. I remember that bit making my friends jump and I've never thought about this bit before as being like a jumpy bit because there isn't a a floating head, there isn't a shark appearing. It's just that bit of 26 seconds or whatever it is of silence beforehand and then sort of the boat suddenly lurching to one side as, as the shark moves underneath is so effective and it's just this film is constantly reinventing different ways of making you scared and it's why it is so perfect like i am hooper in that moment looking around everywhere everywhere like where the heck is this shark (laughs) it's so just so good so perfect it's fabulous because i mean I deal with Japan and pirates is a big thing in Japan when you do interviews mm. and stuff. I mean, I try and teach this to my students that I said, I mean, I've done an interview once where 
I allowed the other person, I forget what it was now, best part of 30 to 40 seconds to answer a question. Mm. They didn't say anything. I, I then thought, right, they're, they're clearly not going to answer this one. I'll move on to the next question. And they tutted me because they still wanted that time. Mm. And so I said to my students, look, you've got to get used to times where you, the, you just have to be silent. And what I do in my class, I'm not going to do it here because it really doesn't work well on podcasts. I will just go silent. Mm. And usually by the time I've got to like five, seven seconds, there'll be at least three students in the class who started giggling. All of them will now be looking up. Mm-hmm. At 10 seconds, they are you can almost see panic on their face. But I'm really pleased that you say that this is 26 seconds, because for me at one level, used to dealing with Japan, I'm kind of used to the silence, and this is a great way of capturing people's attention. But the fact it's 26 seconds, which is the best part of three times longer than my typical students can cope with, just mm-hmm. shows how impactful it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, the... <laughs> the the silence from the japanese audiences is why the beatles stopped touring at all mm. right like allegedly yeah. um they were so what's that allegedly um I, yeah i mean I, I, japanese yeah. audiences i think get a bad rap i don't think they're actually i mean having listened to some bootleg recordings of japanese audiences and having been to a concert in japan i don't think they're as quiet as people sometimes like to make out <laughs> them to be um mm. but yeah, it can be different. Yeah, well, and that was the thing is is they hadn't they couldn't ever hear what their songs actually sounded like, and the, or the, the 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 story goes that they couldn't ever hear in the in the states and Europe because of the screaming, um, and so because when they toured Japan it was a different culture. Obviously, the audiences were quieter during the songs they could hear, and they didn't like the way it sounded, so they stopped touring because the technology to tour the songs the way they wanted was not there. So the, 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 the silence either way, um, it sounds like the silence on some level kind of is, is it is powerful. I mean, it was powerful enough to get the Beatles to stop touring. (laughs) (laughs) I thought silence Um, can be so powerful. But I mean, MJ, I mean, you're the expert on sounds. I mean, how do you take the silence in this? Is it that powerful to you as, as someone who's really, I mean, your ears are probably much more sensitive than Sarah's or mine. Is it mm. that powerful to you as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely the biggest thing that I flagged when I was watching the scene before I hopped on, which is I don't, like, I can't think of another film that is for brevity's sake i will call this sequence an action sequence that in an action sequence would take such a long beat Mm -hmm. in the middle of it to slow down not slow down at all let alone cut all the sound except for all the diegetic sound of like the engine and um the waves uh and and no dialogue whatsoever i i couldn't believe it like watching it again it was it it really kind of blew my mind and it was the perfect it was perfect sound editing as far as taking out the score when they do like as soon as it disappears under the boat that score is gone and the 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 vibe of that is so much more unsettling than when the score is gone earlier in the movie um that i 
that really impressed me. And then, yeah, the super, the super long beat of just the, the, the natural sound effects of what they would be hearing. Uh, It's, I mean, it's, it's a masterclass in decision-making from everyone involved. And, and I don't think we've talked about this. Maybe we mentioned it once. It's a shame that this is not a film that came out when we were in the when we were in the 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 practice of crediting sound mm-hmm. teams um so the sound team on this movie is not credited um the credit, the if, credit, you, if you look on imdb it has been listed but it it, they, it says uncredited mm-hmm. so they, they don't even get mentioned in the credits and if you look at you know um like david fincher david fincher puts his sound designer in the opening credits of every single one of his movies mm, interesting and it's one thing that actually strikes me about when I saw the film again at the cinema is actually how short the credits are on this film. I mean, it's, we're not talking like Star Wars where it goes on for 12 minutes or anything like that. It's just like, well, there go a few names and, oh, look, Brody and Hooper are actually getting onto the beach. Oh, that was it? <laughs> you're, not, you're not going to tell me who else was in this film? It's it's who else was involved in the making of it? I, I'm really shocked at how short the credits are. Um, mm. But... The, the sound is unbelievable. And it's not in this scene, it's not just um, the silence and then the bits of sound with the waves and the purring of the engine. The other bit of sound that I actually like is um, as Brody um, gives up with the pump, having realized that <laughs> the pump really isn't doing very much. Um, there's a scene looking down as he starts to climb up the ladder and there's a bucket just rolling gently from side to side and you can just hear this bucket, just a little gentle sound of it moving around, which I'm assuming they had to add. I mean, I'm not an expert on sound. I defer to you again, MJ. I assume they had to add this on afterwards, but it's just a beautiful little touch mm-hmm. uh, that they bothered to have that sound on there. Uh, I, I, it's a pretty good movie, as someone once said. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. It's... There's so there's so many instances where I think that I don't know if you get it in this scene, but maybe you do with the the bucket kind of rolling around. I'd need to listen again. But the bell that's on the the orca, you know, the one that's on like the I think it's on like the top of the rig or something. When you know when they winch Hooper up, there's like this mm. bell, isn't there? There's so many bits in the film where you sort of hear this ringing sound, and that sort of takes you right back to um, the boy at the beginning when when Chrissy is is out at sea and the, then you hear the sort of like the ringing of that bell and obviously it's a line that comes in later when when Hooper says you know it's like ringing the di- the dinner bell it's like a sound that you that you hear even if it's not an actual bell making that sound you get it in the sound of Quince bottles like rattling against each other as well which I think we we mentioned a few weeks ago um so the the sound in Jaws is absolutely incredible and I think combination of watching it with wearing headphones and talking to MJ who is much more of an expert in these things has just made me appreciate that so much more and it is mind-blowing to me that they you know the people responsible then don't get the credit at the end Mm -hmm. like they're the people who I want to I want to know their names and I want to be able to stand up and applaud them and obviously you can get it from you know IMDb page or whatever uh, but in terms of it, sort of their name actually being there stamped on this film, like it's it's not and it should be because the sound, I think, yeah. is just immaculate in, in this film. I'm particularly on this scene because, I mean, I, I like music with a deep bass, 
and the base on that engine is just so so satisfying it's it's amazing you just need to have really good headphones and pump it up just on the bell um that you mentioned earlier on you realize how powerful that bell sound is when and it is when because i know when exactly you're going to be going and doing the trip when you go mm -hmm. to martha's vineyard um mm -hmm. As I said, when I went, it was great to be seeing so many of the sites that still you can recognize from the film, but catching the ferry at the end of the day to go back over to Woods Hole and going past one of the boys at mm -hmm. sunset and hearing one of the bells go, it's just like, I mean, even thinking about the scene now, the shiver that went down my spine, it is yeah. just so iconic. It's you, mm -hmm. I don't think you fully appreciate it unless you've done like a podcast like yours where you go through minute by minute it's one of those things where yeah you're aware of the boy you're aware of the but it wouldn't be mm -hmm. sticking out if people ask you to name iconic things about jewels i don't think the boy would appear <laughs> in most people's top 10 and the bell and so on but if yeah. you visit the place and you go past one of those things you're just like oh my god mm -hmm. that's the film in a nutshell I'm I'm such a sap that I was just getting like a little bit emotional hearing you talk about that because I was thinking, oh my gosh, when I when we finally get to go, when I hear like the sound of that yeah. bell ringing, I will probably cry because I am that mm -hmm. emotionally invested yeah. in this film. I, I I I I have to admit I had to move away from my family so I could have a little moment. Yeah, because um, it, <laughs> it's it was just incredible. And unfortunately, I never got a good video of it. I tried taking a video, but it was so windy, partly because of the speed yeah. of the boat that you pick up too much wind noise so it wasn't worth keeping the video even but i got a lovely photograph of it which i put on my blog site mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. as well because i just think it's because i can now just look at that and i hear the bell yeah. and it's just like it just transports you there and from there you can almost like see the whole film flash by your eyes in mm -hmm. seconds but it, it it's the bell which kicks it off yeah yeah, well, uh, whoever our guest was, I don't even remember at this point, um, that episode was saying that that's the noise on the DVD. Yeah, it is. That's right. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing, just talking about the start, starting point, because obviously the bell and the boy is where we all start from. One thing that I always like about the iconic Jaws poster, which is obviously the cover of the book, um, which I don't think you mentioned, but maybe you did, and I've forgotten because it is a 68 episodes ago um the great thing about that poster is basically that tells you what's happened i mean albeit it's done as daylight rather than nighttime that bit of the film is done and dusted within two minutes mm -hmm. there's no hint mm -hmm. of what's going to happen in the other 119 minutes at all yeah. you are going completely into the unknown once you get past that scene of a swimming chrissy and a shark coming up from underneath which mm -hmm. I just I think adds to the chill of the whole film, the whole experience. You're going completely into the unknown unless you obviously have heard people talk about it and had spoilers or whatever. And I think that was, a, again, a very clever piece of marketing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, uh, Spielberg does that kind of stuff all the time. I mean, look at the Jurassic Park poster. Mm -hmm. That doesn't give you anything. Yeah. It doesn't give you 
a drop of what's in store for that movie. Whereas if you look at James, um, yeah, whereas if you look at a lot of the James Bond posters, particularly from the same sort of era, 60s and 70s, many of the posters, you got the whole film on the poster. You, while, while you are queuing up, back in the day when you had to queue up for two hours to get into a cinema because there was only one screen showing the film, and so you're waiting for the previous performance to finish, you could look at the poster and know what's going to happen. You've already sorted out the film in your head before you've even seen the film, thanks to the poster. Yeah, I think the the age of simple posters is uh, is long gone. Uh, a, a film that I did not enjoy yeah. recently and uh, controversial because a lot of people really did love it, but I did not like uh, the many Spider Men's No Way Home, um, mm-hmm. and not entirely the reason why I didn't like it, but so much of it was spoiled by not just the trailer but the poster and i had been avoiding the trailers but yeah i'd seen the poster because it was plastered all over twitter and from that poster i could deduce the green goblin was going to be in it spoiler alert for anyone who's managed to yeah, I, avoid i haven't actually managed to see this film yet thank you for that Sarah. Uh, no. <laughs> this gets, don't worry i'm not There's sure many... will watch it <laughs> yeah look it's in the poster i don't know what to tell you uh, but it's you know it, you're right, like Jules, the, the poster, and we did speak about it on that episode, I think, where like our tiny minds were blown when we realised that there's a shot in the beginning of the film that is basically when we're in like Shark's perspective, that is like the poster because the shark is looking up at, at Chrissy. And the poster is so mm-hmm. effective for that reason because it's all it tells you, big shark eats a woman. And that happens within the first five minutes of the film. So... You have no idea what else is is going to come after that. Whereas, just by looking at you know the Spider Man poster, I knew a major character that was going to be in it that I didn't you know know about before. I think you could, when knowing that film was you know about the multiverse, you can kind of put two and two together and assume what's going to happen. But I think film posters now are so busy, and the the James Bond comparison is actually a really interesting one as well because they i'm picturing those like style of posters in my head now where it is like here is all of the characters in the film Mm. and a bunch of like key things that happen in it as well and i feel like that is just the the standard now for your star wars posters or your mcu posters it's like here Mm. is every single character that is in it and they're all like painfully similar as well it's just this kind of like Mm -hmm. they're all positioned in this like diamond shape or triangle shape or something where it's just like here is every single person who is in the film and it's like what about something that is just like a bit more abstract is a bit more not giving everything away up front and that's not to say there aren't good film posters now because there are um and i think i always i'm drawn to the ones that are simple and straightforward and don't Mm -hmm. give away too much because the standard now just for like a big ensemble action superhero whatever film is just like let's put every single person on the poster and i just i just find it a little bit annoying (laughs) Mm -hmm. well and I, i think that goes back to what we were talking about with the modern day sort of you know i don't want this to become the rail against the mcu or disney machine but which one of those movies any of them including the ones i like have the uh 
the guts to do something like 26 seconds of silence 15 minutes before the end when all the explosions right. are happening. Not happening. <laughs> Not happening. Mm-hmm. The closest one I can think of is also coincidentally my favorite MCU movie, Guardians 2. Yeah, there's a bit in the, um, you know, the bit in The Last Jedi as well, when there's like a really big moment of silence, like right in the middle of a, like a, a key action scene. I'm hoping you can remember the bit that I'm, t- <laughs> that I'm talking about where like the, so the ship is like spliced I... in half and it's, it goes silent and people were so no, freaked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people okay. were so freaked out by it that they thought something was wrong with the film. <laughs> like they complained. They were like, mm-hmm. the sound cut out. What happened? <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that. I I was worried I hadn't because I've only seen that mm. film once because Twitter made that movie interesting immediately, <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought the movie was fine, and apparently that's the wrong opinion to have about that movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was like, whoa, everyone's mad at me, and I just thought the movie was like pretty okay. <laughs> yeah. What's the bit in Guardians you're thinking of, MJ? I can't remember. Um, so I don't remember specifically that it's necessarily a moment of mm-hmm. silence, but what I will say is that the the climax is driven by the characters because that whole movie is. I guess I would say it's more that, and this is why it's my favorite MCU movie, I think, is that like nothing happens in that movie in a good way. Like it's just kind of them hanging out on that planet with Kurt Russell dealing with their trauma. And that's the movie. (laughs) Um, And I really, really like that. Like most of the movie is just people talking, Mm. but it happens to look like a, you know, Boston album cover. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, it's just, it's such a ballsy move and I think it is it is telling really of, of that, you know, the bit that I was saying about in, in The Last Jedi is that it was so unheard of that even, I don't think it's long, I think it's like 10 seconds or so, if that, it's really not that long at all, but people were like so unnerved by it that they were, they thought like something had happened to the film, like it had broken, like the sound had cut out or something like that. So you had people like mm. leaving the screen and being like, uh, the sound just cut out. Can someone fix it? And it's, <laughs> it's like, obviously that was like dead silence because, you know, in space, no one can hear your spaceship explode. But in, at least in at like this bit in Jaws, like you do have that sound, but it's it's weird how your ears sometimes hear it as like complete silence like we've spoken about. But now when we're really like tuned into the sound, we're hearing all those other things going on going on in the scene but it's just it's so bold and i just wish that yeah that simplicity that more films were just comfortable in making those choices i guess and we've sort of gone off track from the the poster thing but yeah it doesn't but i think it no, go sorry, go no, no, no i was just gonna say I, I think the key thing is that it shows how much confidence despite all the troubles they had and we know that all the troubles actually is what contributed to the movie being so perfect in the end mm. is that it's Spielberg having confidence in his actors. Because as I said with the analogy with my students, 10 seconds of silence guaranteed whatever my students were doing, they're now looking at me to see what's going on. We've got 26 seconds of silence here. You are now guaranteed that your whole audience is just looking 
for Hooper, for Quint, for Brody, who appears a, a little less in some respects in this 26 seconds of silence, to give us something. Please tell us what's going on. So you are so focused on their expressions. You're looking for some sort of reassurance about the heroes are going to win. And what do you get? You look, you get a look of total confusion from Quint. You've got as I said, Brody has just like given up with the pumping and stuff. I mean, as the as the shark goes under the water, none of them even get their weapons. They're just like, what's going on now? But you've got this real conf- look of confusion on Quint. You've got Hooper looking around frantically, basically totally panicked, short of actually screaming. He is losing his mind at this point. And just to prove it's not a still shot or anything like that, you've got a couple of lovely shadows that just move across um, the faces of uh, Quint and Hooper. There's like a couple of rope lines or something like that the shadows go across their face you are just so focused on it that even if you're not watching this clip and as a sort of second by second and taking it to pieces like we do in this podcast you can't help but notice these details because the silence doesn't give you any other option you have to look at them and that just completely puts you on edge which is why a scene which shouldn't lead to people jumping and screaming Partly because, I mean, Spielberg says you can only get away with like one of those sort of scenes once in a movie or whatever, does lead to everybody jumping when suddenly Road Rage Bruce just suddenly comes up straight underneath the boat and sends everybody flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that moment where right before the shark tips the boat, <laughs> Brody looks, he looks around. And he's like angry and confused and scared, and he just yeets the pump. Like he is like, but this. What the hell am I still doing holding this? This is not going to do anything. We are going down. Yeah. Sorry, I just realized on episode 69, I used the phrase, we are going down. Never mind, move on. I was I was just about to say how he'd he'd had enough uh, of uh, pumping for today, but you know, his. Uh... <laughs> I, I feel as though we're almost, we could slide into a James Bond pun type podcast at any second here. Yeah. Oh, we frequently do. Uh- yeah. I, I mean, this is right. This is the moment where in a, in a, in a different movie, uh, Brody says, I'm, I'm tired. I've had it with this motherfucking shark on this motherfucking boat. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. The Samuel L. Jackson I mean, version he- of Jaws. <laughs> He, he's almost yeah. at the point, I think, where Honestly, I mean, he's almost at the point where when the boat gets hit and Quint shouts out whole fast, I think Brody's just like, I'm not sure I could even be bothered now. I'm just going to jump straight into the water. I'm I'm done with this. Just kill me now. I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm done with all of this. Oh, he is. Oh, he is so over it. It is such good over it acting oh, on Roy Scheider's part too, where he's just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, he says it all with his face too. It's really great face acting. And then his little like uh, gymnast routine where he's hanging onto the ladder mm-hmm. in the wide shot there. It's, uh, it's great. He, he's, he's just completely channeled his complete inner teenager and just gone into full stop mode there. It's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've spoken a lot about his great kind of physical acting and how intentional or accidental some of that is. And we maintain that that bit when he knocks like the paintbrushes over in the shop that I don't Mm -hmm. think he meant to do that because it's such a great like, oh no, I've just knocked this whole thing of paintbrushes down reaction. If If that was intentional, then 
the greatest actor of all time um or <laughs> the bit when he hits his head like on the town sign as well like there's so many just kind of bits of like great clumsiness physical acting from Roy Scheider which I think is why I I mean I love talking about him and how great he is frequently but this is just such we well, hadn't such noticed a great... I have to say no. after, after 60, 68 episodes it hadn't come across yet I think you need to just dial it up a little bit <laughs> you wait till it gets to the completely unnecessary uh topless scene in a few in a few weeks time <laughs> I'm ready uh that's what my whole life has been leading up to um the... <laughs> but it's the the way that he just reacts to what is happening around him and it's we've spoken about this a lot in the last few weeks the that great bit where Brody and Hooper like look at each other when Quint is just like on one and they're like are you gonna tell him or am I gonna tell him and they sort of just share this look between them Brody is basically like having that moment like with the pump and the water and it's so great because he's just looking at the the orca just slowly filling up with with water and he has got this teeny tiny little pump that is doing absolutely nothing <laughs> which mm-hmm. is very funny in itself but it's the way it's like look at the water look at the pump look back at the water and then yeah it is the real like f this moment isn't it i I wrote that down mm-hmm. in my notes where he just throws it down and it's like i have had it <laughs> i'm i'm not taking this <laughs> You can also see like the hamster wheel turning where he's like, wait a minute, the two guys who know the most about sharks are up there and I'm down here. They played me for yeah. a fool. <laughs> they, they've actually left me to get eaten next. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I'm coming up to yeah. join you. And oh, typical, just my luck. As I go up, I'm actually going to get smashed off the ladder and bash my side. I mean, you can see him reach for his kidneys or something. He gets mm-hmm. knocked. I mean, mm-hmm. plus point for the next film. Maybe he's going to end up with a scar that he can show off to everybody now. But... <laughs> Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to be the chump with the pump down here anymore. I'm getting... Given this is episode 69, I think we may have our title for the episode now. <laughs> chump with the pump is... Chump with the pump is A+. I thank you. Uh, to to bring the tone back after it had been ever so slightly lowered, although I fear we will get back to that place again. Um was it last week, MJ? This is what our recording schedule is all thrown up in the air and I can't remember where I am or what I'm doing. But last week when we spoke about how, yeah. like the shot of how the barrels were lined up like they were on the boat. Um, was, that, was that last week, I think? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it happens again in in this and it's we get this great like wide shot. It's as the barrels are sort of oh. heading towards um, the boat and... We see, I think, Brody's still down at the like the back of the boat at this point. Quint is on the ladder. Hooper is at the top driving the boat, and the the barrels is just before they go under, and like they're sort of perfectly like in a row, exactly as like the characters are lined up as well. So I I really like this idea of it being like, you know, the even though it's one shark, we're seeing it represented as three barrels so it's like the three of them and the three of us type of thing and this idea of you know i think chris you said like the line being drawn in the sand and it's we spoke Mm. last week about this you know things are on like a level playing field now like the shark has has drawn blood from from these guys in i think all of them have have sustained an injury at some point brody got hit on the head and quint with his hand and hooper getting trapped in the rope so 
it's you know chomping away at them bit by bit and obviously like they they've now the shark has got these three barrels in it as well so it's kind of like it's like a three all type of thing and i've just never really noticed like how many times like the positioning of the characters like perfectly lines up with the positioning of the barrels as well i just think it's i just think it's really cool <laughs> and what i love about this scene it's the fact that if you look at it carefully you've got hooper up on the bridge watching the barrels coming you've got quint starting to climb the ladder watching the barrels coming and brody is pumping he's not watching the barrels at all he is still working because that's the kind of guy he is he does the job he's told to do until he realizes that he's been the one who's been left on the sinking deck to get eaten by the shark next and he goes into stroppy teenager mode but mm -hmm. he's still working away as the barrels approach yeah mm -hmm. um yeah so uh uh i think i have this right and it's been a while since i brought this up <laughs> but uh shout out to my favorite youtube channel of all time every frame of painting um he has a wonderful video all his videos are wonderful but he has two really great videos i want to say they're both about kurosawa um i could be wrong they're both definitely about japanese cinema. um and one of them is about how kurosawa composes movement within his scenes and the other one is about how kurosawa blocks a scene and makes shapes with his actors a lot and also with the scenery um uh, I don't remember what film it is. Uh, you know what? I just had it up. Um, and now I can't find it. <laughs> cool. The Bad Sleep Well. Um, is that a Kurosawa movie? Say it again. The Bad Sleep Well. Yeah, it is. Um, which is... The Bad Sleep Well is an adaptation of Hamlet, I think. Um, anyway... So he uses a lot of triangles in that. Um, and so I had, uh, uh, I was kind of wondering, you know, obviously Star Wars is a Kurosawa remake, mm -hmm. right? It's the Hidden Fortress. Yep. Um, and obviously Spielberg and, and Lucas are friends and <clears throat> they must have drawn from kurosawa at some point and i think that's what he's doing with a lot of the blocking here that and hitchcock hitchcock did a lot of similar yeah. stuff um with the blocking uh which once again every frame of painting has a great video about how hitchcock blocked the scene <laughs> um hitchcock blocked uh, <laughs> uh, but i found this quote from spielberg about kurosawa uh <laughs> And it says that he called Kurosawa the, the pictorial Shakespeare of our time, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I would say true. Um, but also, I think you can really see it. Go watch those, specifically those Every Frame of Painting videos. Watch them all. They're all great. And then watch Jaws and look at the way he draws shapes with the scene, especially when they're on the Orca and he yeah. has that limited uh, et palette to draw from. Look at the shapes he makes and look at the shapes that... that Tony Tony Zhao uh, brings brings to mind uh, in in his analysis of Kurosawa movies, and it's I think it's plain as day. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's such a good point because, I mean, we've spoken a lot about how often, you know, Spielberg has three people in the shot and I think every time it's been, like, one of the notable notable examples we've we've mentioned it, but even now I'm just looking at some stills from, from The Bad Sleep Well and, like, how the characters are positioned and stuff and you can, like, draw that triangle between them and I think this is absolutely something that you see in in Jaws as well and I guess even more interesting that we're seeing those parallels or those same shapes being drawn like between the three characters and between the three barrels I think it is just this this idea of like you know it's gonna be them or the shark and maybe not everyone is gonna make it along the way and even at this point it's like the playing field is is level you know they they are the same like you look at Mm -hmm. that you look at that shot of you know just before the barrels go under and it's like even the the sort of like the spacing like between the barrels as well is like pretty similar to you know not exact but how far apart the the characters are positioned as well and i i I mean you know something i feel like i say most weeks is like i've never noticed this before and it's like well yeah no shit because you've never gone (laughs) minute by minute through jaws before but genuinely not something that i've that i've ever picked up on before is this i is this idea and sort of drawing those shapes of like where the characters are positioned where the barrels are positioned i think is is super interesting yeah it's it's a lovely moment i mean how many times on this podcast have we been talking about sort of your favorites sort of still shot and so on and i mean i think fundamentally 60 69 episodes in i think there's a a still at least one still shot from every episode of the podcast where it's just like yeah i could happily have that as a poster and i think this one i think this episode has got several i think the barrels approaching the orca when you can see all three of them is amazing and i think the overhead shots when you see the shark appearing from underneath orca is just incredible I mean, mm-hmm. especially when you know how much trouble they went through to get the thing to work anyway. <laughs> um, but I'm sorry, I, I I actually think they tricked us all along. I, I think for that particular scene, they did actually finally manage to train a great white to swim underneath the walker. <laughs> and and that, that's a real shark, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's one, this is one of the bits as well where if, and I am that annoying person to watch Jaws with now, I think I always have been, but now even more so. Like if I hard watch... to believe, Sarah. Hard to believe. <laughs> if I watch this bit now, like with someone who hasn't seen it before, or maybe someone who is like, oh, you know, the shark doesn't look very good, or whatever. I mean, that's not the kind of company that I like to keep. But if I did, you know, yeah. I would point out this bit and be like, look at it. Like, look at the the size of this thing, the way it moves, the proximity to the boat as well. Like, I know it's that you know, in the in sort of the overhead shot it it sort of looks like it is you know real close to the boat there probably was some distance between it just you know so they didn't damage the shark or damage the boat but how it looks in that overhead shot is like that shark is basically the same size as the orca as well like it is absolutely Mm. massive i think this is this and the sort of the first time you see the shark from from sort of overhead like earlier in the film I think they're mm. the best examples of just showing the sheer size and scale of of this thing. And that would be so much less impactful if we saw the shark as often as I think they wanted to show the shark. So Absolutely. I'm very, yeah, very, very glad that Bruce was 
uh, a bit of a diva, a bit unreliable, uh, only showed up to film when he wanted to show up. And you then get this because it's a shark film now. It's just like, how much of the shark can we fit in? Like, we've got to have it in every scene. You've got to see it from every angle. Like, it, you know, you wouldn't have the Meg now and the barrels be you know or something be there in place of the shark it's like i want to see this big shark fighting jason statham or whatever happens in that film Um, i mean this is what as as you said on previous episodes fundamentally this is not a shark film this is three men coming to get coming together dealing with a variety of different issues that they've got oh and there happens to be a shark involved and i think the bad rep that bruce gets comes primarily from three things i think the bits in two scenes which you haven't dealt with yet obviously is one when bruce comes in through the window to get brody Mm -hmm. not the best look for for bruce i think when bruce jumps out to get out of the water to get quint Mm -hmm. that doesn't look great but both of those things don't take into account that the film has now switched this is not this has gone into pure horror mode. And I think it, I mean, I think you've hinted at this in previous episodes, but I think if you listen to the music in this scene, when the shark appears, that music is pure horror film music. Yeah. And if people accept that this is a horror film, it's not meant to be based on a real shark, then even those two bits with Bruce can be seen in that context. But yeah, the bit where he's wobbling around on the back of the orchid doesn't look great. I actually think Bruce does gets the worst rep actually nothing to do with the film i think it's because people picture what he looked like at universal studios and the ride where i'm sorry it just doesn't it i mean i love the ride because i love jaws and i'm looking forward to going on it again when i go to japan again hopefully when they let me into the country at some point uh thanks to covid later this year but it looks rubbish it and because you know it's coming it doesn't have these suspense and so on it does not work um, but as I said earlier on, I think it's also most people just haven't seen a shark up close. And so they're just not comparing, comparing it like apples and oranges or whatever would be the most appropriate analogy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, if you do go to Universal this year, you have to have a Jaws hunt. Oh, I am. I mean, this, I, I kid you not. This, I have a bucket list of things to do in Japan. I have a list of things I do when I go on research trips. This is on both lists at the moment, yes. and I am looking forward to taking a photograph of it and making you two insanely jealous. I mean, normally I don't like to make people jealous, but if I can't get a picture and I don't get a reply of you two looking incredibly <laughs> green-faced, I will have failed this year. Mm-hmm. I will paint my face green, especially. Thank you. <laughs> you, you, are, you are allowed to use filters on phones if you prefer, but if you want to get the paint out, feel free there. I'm not going to stop oh, yeah. you. Commitment. <laughs> Yes. about the Jaws hot dog, but I cannot think of a better episode than episode sixty-nine for it to come back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I will. I will. I will be having a big long hot dog in my mouth saying, "I remember sixty-nine. Is that the sort of line you were looking for? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man, the the Hitchcock block earlier. I know we tried to carry on and be sensible, but that really, really tickled me as well. <laughs> It's real good. Oh man, yeah. I, <laughs> Chris, I I like the idea that the trying the Jaws hot dog is on your research list as well because that is very oh, important absolutely. research. <laughs> it is because one of the things I've now realised is just actually how important um, 
and how popular Jaws is in Japan. I actually went away and did a little bit of research. I mean, I've managed to get Jaws into two of my research articles recently. <laughs> um, one where I discussed whether Jaws should be classified as a disaster movie or not, and I said it isn't. Um, and another one where I was talking about how even in a fictional film, you can get really important factual stuff. So this was an opportunity to bring in the Indianapolis speech. Um, but I was doing a bit of research and I found that Jaws is still, on the basis of revenue, ranked as the 59th highest revenue film in Japan at the moment. Wow. Um, it was number one wow. all the way through until 1983. Um, so it held off Star Wars. Um, mm. And according to some figures, they reckon the um, the income has actually been underestimated. And with the correct figure, it would actually be number 35 on the list. Um, so it's huge out there. Um, you can't see it, but I'm actually wearing a Japan-inspired Jaws T-shirt. I'll drop it in the Discord for you so you can see what I'm wearing. I, I saw someone on a Jaws group on Facebook who got one of these. I thought, i got to get me one of these. Can I only get it in Japan? No, thank you very much to Etsy and Redbubble. I managed to find a much cheaper way of getting <laughs> hold of one. Um, so it's it, it's big out there. Um, yeah. But I have, I have found it interesting in preparing for this, just going through some of the Japanese subtitles to see in what way um, the subtitles are different and the story is different because there clearly are bits are different. So, I mean, the bit, of, the bit in here, which maybe we, need, we do need to um, chat about it, is that bit where Hooper says something along the lines of, have you ever done seen one do this before? Quint is saying maybe hell no, I don't know, something along the lines of that. In the Japanese version, Hooper is saying, Shinji uh, do you believe it? And Quint goes, yeah, which just means no. Nope. Huh. So it's got a slightly different feel to it. And um, even the Indianapolis speech has got a slightly different flow to it and so on compared to the English version. Um, so... Uh, I feel as though there's a research article in here. I, I need to be getting more jewels into my life. Although I'm very disappointed with the Japanese translation of jewels. It, it, they just uh, put it into the phonetic language, Japanese is phonetic. So it actually comes out of Joe's, which in Cardiff is a very popular ice cream uh, franchise. Um, so <laughs> it kind of loses something for me when I say it written like that, but never mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, two things. One, got to get Jaws into my life is my favorite Beatles song. <laughs> two, uh, it, uh, so do you think, um, I did not expect this to go this direction, but it's me talking, so of course it is. <laughs> do you think that the popularity of Jaws in Japan is related to the popularity of like Godzilla and Kaiju movies? Like, do you think that they, they tried to craft it as more of a, a Kaiju film almost, or at least a Kaiju film adjacent? I think it's more that they didn't need to do any work on it they didn't need to convince anybody mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. how many times i mean we've been talking about it today it comes up in so many podcasts people moaning about whether bruce looks accurate or not blah 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 mm -hmm. in japan they're going we happily accepted a guy dressed up as godzilla and many other <laughs> kaiju right, right seriously right. just shut up and move on this mm -hmm. is I mean, obviously, we know Jaws is a real story. This is basically a two-hour documentary we're watching. But for those people who think this is fiction, just accept the story and get into it. And let's not start worrying about little details. It's, I mean, it's like these people who worry about some of the continuity. And yes, I mentioned a continuity error 
in this particular scene where we can't actually see the ropes leading out to the barrels. And this is not the only time it happens. There's some ones like that, particularly with the underwater scene with Hooper coming up. But who cares? Mm. It's an amazing film with the best soliloquy monologue in movie history, the Indianapolis speech, and so many other bits. The shark, seriously, get over it, people. And Mm. I think for Japanese people, they just go, thank you. You made a model. You did a really good job of it. We're now on board for the whole ride. Mm -hmm. I mean, Japan still, I mean, obviously, in Japanese movies, there's animation, there's CGI now, but there's still a place for models as well. And it just can work better. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, It's more authentic. Yeah, I mean, um, as a, lar- a, a a big fan of, of kaiju movies, like, there's, oh no, what's it called? Paintbrush of the Gods? I'll have to defer to you on this. I'm um, not actually, I don't watch a whole massive number of them. When I was doing my study on Japanese disaster movies, I actually, this, this was a major flaw with my research. I had to think about because if you go on IMDb, there's no such thing as a disaster movie. So I had to figure out what actually is a disaster movie, which actually meant having to figure out what a disaster is, which is how I ended up managing to talk about whether Jules and so on is a disaster <laughs> or not as well. Um, so one of the things that generally is agreed is not disaster movie is things like pure science fiction. So, which was great because it meant something like Battleship, which is a dreadful, dreadful film. As much as I loved the ship USS Missouri, having visited it, it meant that I didn't have to study Battleship because it involves aliens and stuff like that. So I could ignore all that. But by ignoring pure science fiction films, it meant I wiped out Godzilla and all of those movies from my possible disaster movie study, Um, which at one level wasn't great, but it did make my life a lot easier because there's so many of additional films I would have had to watch otherwise. Yeah. So yeah, Brush of the God is what it's called. And this is this is a movie coming out in 2023. Okay. And this is what they they did Whoa. with it. Wow. Um, they made Yeah. Yeah, you're going to need to put that in the tweet so people can see it yeah. when we talk about this in the that episode. That's that's badass. <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? Mhm. Yeah, I cannot wait for that movie. It's been delayed like two or three times because they're trying to get the puppetry so precise. Mm-hmm. Lovely. It's it's nice to know 50 years on, people still can't get puppets to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> All that extra Bruce. technology and yet still. <laughs> but hey, in another 50 years yeah. after that, people are going to be doing a, a minute-by-minute podcast or thereabouts about that movie. So there you go. <laughs> And there's there's a shot of some in action and some test footage. Yeah. I mean, it, it that amazing. just instantly looks it instantly looks so much better than if it's just animated or computer generation. Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I just go back to the scene for a second? Something else I wanted to pick up on, mm. and it's do it mm-hmm. to do with Quint. Just as he's um, describing what they're going to do, so they're going to take um, they're going towards the shore, and they're going to try and. Uh, drown the shark I love his little nod it's so so subtle that he's basically talking his plan out almost to himself I mean Brody and Hooper are nearby now but 
he's just like he's talking to himself and there's just this little nod where he's just like almost repeat repeats himself that this is what they're going to do and i just i just find it very satisfying it's just like he feels as though he's kind of in control we're, we're still kind of mad quint at this stage we're, we're bandana quint um but i just i just love that little nod and i i've gone away and i've done some science checking on this i'm sure you'll be pleased to know about what this business is of can you drown a shark in shallow water um it's kind of yes and no is the answer is what i found on by doing some trawling of the internet so many sharks don't have um a strong enough skeleton because their skeleton is primarily cartilage and not bone that if they get into shallow water or out of water altogether the weight particularly for a huge shark like a great white and this is a the shark in jaws is obviously a particularly great great white um so the the body can start particularly the organs get crushed under its own weight because the cartilage can't help hold it so that may be part of it the other thing is that big sharks like great whites um require forward motion to breathe and get the oxygen and so on so it may be that and so the way you can kill these sharks is by dragging them backwards because the water flow is now going the wrong direction they don't get the oxygen so it may be quint was thinking get them into shallow water and then try and get hold of the barrels and then just literally just drag the shark backwards and that would do the job so just on the i feel as though you've, you've had one academic and scientist come on the podcast <laughs> so far and bring in some important information i felt as though it was my duty to do the same sort of thing here <laughs> Um, it, that's interesting too, because in last week's scene is where, uh, Quint says like, I hope you break your back or whatever, when it's pulling on the, mm -hmm. on the cleats. Yep. Um, so there's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that far-fetched for that to potentially happen. Mm -hmm. It seems like. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's the, sorry, we're, we're, we're diving around a little here, but the, I think it's interesting the the differences in perhaps like what Hooper says and and what Quint says in various different different translations and I've only ever sort of Quint or seen Quint or heard Quint say no at that point where uh where Hooper sort of says you know you ever had one do this before and but, but look at the lips it's two words yeah if you I, look at I've... the lips there's I've watched it and I, but, I'm now I'm seeing it. So, so yeah, I'm and, like, I, I, and I cannot lip read. I, I'm watching it again now. Mm. Um, it's definitely two words. I I think that's hell no. Something along those lines. Yeah, which does it still feels very like on on brand for Quint, but I mm. I quite oh, yeah. like I quite like that it's just that one word mm. because I think it's. We've heard so much talking from Quint. <laughs> Quint is this mm -hmm. like strong, capable, like cocky, arrogant, you know. Think how much like singing, talking, dirty limericks we had from Quint in the beginning. And now we're get like we're getting like really like short answers from Quint. Like he's still saying stuff, you know, he the bit about like we're gonna bring him into shore, we're gonna bring him in, we're gonna bring him in and drown him like he said he says that like multiple times which really sort of like hammers that point home but there's also moments as well where he just he gives like a one word answer or a short answer or something and i just think that it's a real like oh no moment as well like for hooper because we've we and hooper and, and everyone else really led to believe that quint is you know he can do anything he is you know he's got all those shark jaws 
in his house and yet like this is beyond him this is something that he hasn't experienced before and hooper is sort of questioning you know the the shark's behavior like what it's doing this you know angry angry truck driving shark that we've got here like have you ever had one do this before and quint is just like no not like no they do this or no but it's okay i know what to do or anything else (laughs) it's just no or hell no whichever whichever way you want to look at it but either way it's still i think the 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 point is is the same regardless of 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 what he says he doesn't know he he is sort of you know we've spoken about them sort of being on like a level playing field but we get in that moment this sense of like the sh- the shark does kind of have like one up on them like they're they're still going to try and and do what has worked previously you know with the barrels trying to keep it a- above the surface and not going under so it can't evade them and they're obviously going to try and and take the boat the boat in as as you're mentioning and you know we obviously we don't see it get to that point because the the shark gets you know destroyed before then but yeah this this idea of of getting the shark into shallower water and then it's you know they're not in the shark's house then or they're less close to the the shark's house they're closer to land then and then they'll be in a better position potentially to be able to sort of you know like you said drag the shark in but i just think it's it's quite a just a powerful moment and i think coming after that bit of silence that we've we've talked about so often as well just makes it even more so it's just this kind of the idea of even quint not knowing what to do in this situation is like kind of terrifying (laughs) absolutely i I think it's it's kind of linked to a change in mood i mean as you may know from social media and things i posted there i'm toying with the idea of doing some sort of fan fiction backstory about quint so mm-hmm. quint prior to jaws kind of thing and tying in with some of the things you said on the podcast i like the idea that maybe he's been killing sharks to try and get to the number of people who were killed on the indianapolis mm-hmm. and this particular shark will be the one where he levels the numbers and this is links in with the indianapolis speech and everything it brings it all together and now suddenly with this no right here it's a sudden realization ah actually mm-hmm. maybe i'm never going to get to level it maybe this is going to be one more victim to the shark yeah and it's going to be me Oof. Oof. <laughs> i just got chills <laughs> i like it right at the end of this scene just as we cut at the end of this uh one minute 38 seconds you've chosen that when talking about going back to um land and so on that Quint is addressing Brody directly, mm. even though Hooper is right there. And although they've had their falling out with the broken baseball bat, or sorry, sawn off baseball bat and so on, um, in the end, Quint still has that respect for the Chief. He still knows Chief is a land lover and doesn't like being on boats. And so he turns to Chief Brody and says, we're going back. And Brody responds in the only way Brody could in that situation, I think. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I love uh Brody's response. <laughs> I think it's so it's so great. It's so Brody just mm. the way he is just, you know, thank Christ or <laughs> as I wrote in my notes, thank Quint because as we have established, yeah. Quint is Jesus, so uh <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think again some of this comes from the fact that the film has so many problems. That, and I know there's a lot spoken about sort of Robert Shaw, the method acting and how he mm. 
sort of wound up Richard Dreyfus, and obviously this comes through and the shark is broken and so on the play. Um, but I think it is part of the fact that these guys, to some degree, did become the characters. Yeah. Um, and the script came from them. I mean, they were still writing this film as they went along. And mm-hmm. one of the things I've learned from studying movies and so on is how often a film which can be three hours long, it turns out they managed to film it in two weeks. And it's just like, how can you do that? And everything comes, it's the editing time that takes so long. You just think these guys are literally professionals. They just turn up, do their job, do those few lines, may take a few takes and away they go. But for this film, these guys lived it and became the characters for the best part of, what, a third of nearly half a year. And the scripts, there was so much ad-libbing involved that, I mean, you could just imagine Steven Spielberg saying, like, this is roughly what's happening in this, this scene. Off you go, guys. We Don't even worry about what we've done as a script. You do it as you think it needs to be done. And it just it works so perfectly. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, Sarah, I know you got to get going soon, so I'll make it brief. But um, I think the 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 thing that fascinates me about acting is how do you like wash off these characters at the end of the day? Like, how do you, you know? And and obviously, there's like very famous cases of that not really working. Um, example: Heath Ledger, which obviously ended in tragedy. Um, but you know, even someone is my go-to example is someone like Brian Cranston. Like he played a pretty intense dude for like six years on Breaking Bad and seems pretty well adjusted from what I can tell. I mean, I obviously don't know the man, so maybe he's, you know, harboring some stuff, but uh, it just, it's, it's so interesting to me of like, how do you get rid of that personality or that part of yourself that you have to unlock for, um, characters like this and you know i think sometimes you do sometimes you don't and sometimes they may be closer to home than than you would think but uh yeah i've always been fascinated by that that the almost deconstruction of the character after the 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 job is done and the lovely, so to speak. And the lovely thing is there's, there's actually sort of a, a continuation here so as i said i managed to get to chat to the actors from the shark is broken and the first one who I spoke to was Liam Murray Scott, um, fabulous actor. He's the one who plays Richard Dreyfus. And when I went over to him and started chatting and asked him to sign my program, he got so giggly and everything. He goes, yeah, I get to sign it first. I've got one over on Ian and everything. And I, saw, I just turned and said, do you feel as though you're continuing the Richard Dreyfus role into real life? He goes, maybe. <laughs> And then people he actually signed my program is Cooper Drive the Boat, which I, I just thought was fabulous as well. Um, oh, man after my own heart. <laughs> they, they're great guys. Um, so easy to talk to, so open. It, it, that was an incredible afternoon. Really yeah. was. What's so great, obviously I've, I've seen the play as well just the once, but what's so great about it is like you're watching, obviously they're in the costumes of, the characters quint brody hooper but they're playing the actors mm. yet the the line particularly between quint and and robert shaw who is obviously played by ian shaw his son is so is so fine <laughs> like i think yeah. more so than than any of the others because you get much more of you know richard dreyfus's accent through through um mm. 
the performance than than you do Hooper and I think the same with um with uh, Roy Scheider as well but mm. this idea of like you know there being that very close relationship between like the actor and the character they're playing and I think perhaps one of the reasons why Robert Shaw's performance in Jaws is so great and so memorable like there there are so many parallels between between those characters I mean obviously sadly you know when it comes to the drinking and everything else it's that Mm -hmm. is something that was a big part of of Robert Shaw's life and it's they play the actors play those characters so well and this is not just all the jaws bias in the world but i cannot imagine anyone else like playing those roles like they just inhabit them like so perfectly and i think that that was something that the play like really got across to me as well and mj i really hope you get the opportunity to see it i hope they tour it or something yeah i mean i mean i think i think there may be an announcement about that fairly soon this was something that came up during the q a whether there's going to be a tour um and they said that later that week there were discussions now there's been no mention since then but it's the last week at the moment in london so they may be holding off until it's finished we also asked if they will ever do a recording of it and they said it's actually very difficult because of the way they project their voices and so on and right, when people go yeah. into a theater people buy into them being in a theater so you accept the boat is not moving around whereas if it was shown on tv or a, a, a recording or something the audience is now going to expect the boat to be moving around so suddenly they're going to have the technical problems that they're making jokes about as being the technical problems from <laughs> 1975 so you get an inbuilt irony um mm. but it is so good but of course at, right at the end of the play they actually do play the act the characters because they do the yeah. Indianapolis speech in full so you suddenly get that switch where they've gone from being the actors but the transition is so natural that it's just like it just proves the point that they're the only ones who could do it and just to sort of finish off because I know we're, we need to draw this to an end fairly soon mm-hmm. during the Q&A someone asked the question about whether there would ever be a remake of Jaws and the answer that came back was the best answer I've had on this they said where's the remake of Casablanca where's the remake of gone with the wind if you're not make, remaking those films which are held up has been some of the best films ever why would ever anybody even contemplate remaking jewels when it's so much it's already been converted to blu-ray and upscaled and all the rest of it you don't need to do anything else and my footnote to that is one of the things that would happen with a remake is that you need to make it look sufficiently different from the original but if you go to back to martha's vineyard other than the bridge which is nicknamed Jaws Bridge, being concrete rather than wooden, it still looks the same as it did in 1975. <laughs> so it looks too similar. So there's no point in doing the remake anyway. Yeah, yeah. And also, why remake perfection? Uh... Absolutely. <laughs> I say this yeah. as someone who really enjoyed the new West Side Story, but I think it's because it's Spielberg. <laughs> and also very, very yeah, good. Spielberg, you're also the guy who made one of the best yeah. movies ever made it. <laughs> Spielberg can, can remake whatever the hell he wants, uh, as far as and, I'm and concerned, hey, if it's and, as good and, as... And, uh, fin- and finally, he gets an Oscar nomination for a shark film. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <Way>. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that Possibly joke feels... Possibly put it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Well, I'll claim it as my own now. <laughs> 
uh, uh, great uh, pun feels like the perfect place to end this episode. Um, Chris, thank you so much for for coming on. It's been a real joy to have you on and and bring lots of different insight as well. I know how much you you love this film, so yeah, really really loved having you on. And uh, now you get the chance to to plug whatever it is you want to plug. Let people know where they can find you as well and and your writing and stuff as well, because I think people will will want to check that out. Sure. Thanks very much. Well, thanks again to both of you for having me on. And this bit is actually a lot shorter and easier than it would have been before I ever listened to this podcast, because thank you, you've introduced me to Linktree. Because when I do academic presentations in the past, I used to have so many different icons and bits of information about all the different social media I'm on and everything. Whereas now I can just say go to Linktree forward slash hood CP. So my initials, so Hood as in Robin Hood and then CP for Christopher Philip. And there you've got it all. You've got my WordPress site where I do lots of blog entries, a lot there to do with Jaws. You'll find about all my academic stuff there. As I said, I've managed to get Jaws into my academic writing. I've also I also write novels and I managed to get Jaws into one of my novels. I'm not going to tell you which one, so you've got to go and buy all three. Thank you very much. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. It's all there please get in touch people um, unless you don't like jaws in which case i never want to hear from you ever <laughs> my favorite thing was a link you sent me chris that was i think was about like sakura tree planting or something yeah, um, yeah. and you were like spot the jaws reference and i was mm-hmm. what a th- what a thrill to to, <laughs> to see a jaws reference in something very much not about jaws um you, you can a... get jaws into practically anything at all it's it's yes. I, I I set out most days. I mean, I can't do it at home now because my, my family just roll their eyes and everything. But I mean, I was on a holiday in Madeira and the photos I took the most of when I was in Madeira is when I got to a boat which was just sitting there and found it was called Orca. And I just said, <laughs> I said to my son, look, you've got to take pictures of me with this boat. I mean, if the guy had come up to me, the owner of the boat and said it was for sale, I would have probably bought it on the spot. <laughs> Um, and the, the, the first restaurant we went to is called Barracuda Bar and it's just like seriously I'm you can't let that one go I mean they said they said we're going to the Barracuda and I just went huh and they didn't understand I mean it's just like, sorry what? it was such yeah. a good line and they did it just you could almost see the tumbleweed go across the hotel room when I said it and it's just, oh. but my, I, I, I thought it on my students as well but they they have to put up with my Jaws references. Yeah. Thing is, most so many of them haven't seen Jaws, so they don't even realise it. But uh, watching the Indianapolis speech is compulsory viewing for my students because at least there I can bring in the reference to Hiroshima and the bombing, so it's totally relevant. Yes, absolutely. The correct education that everyone uh, should have is uh, any way to slip Jaws into conversation, academic or otherwise. Um, MJ, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, whenever you hear this, uh, <laughs> um, I was on the Bond We Share. I don't know if it's out. It's been recorded. I talked about Moonraker, um, one of the Roger Moore films, um, and had a really good time with that. Uh, we also are recording a Real Perspective episode about the book of Boba Fett, which was news to me yesterday. So I am in the process of catching up on that as quickly as possible <laughs> so we can get it recorded. Um, and then... Uh, I was also on Uncut Gems, uh, the podcast, to talk about movie musicals. And we talked about All That Jazz, Dancer in the Dark, uh, which was a first time watch for me, and uh, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Um, So 
be on the lookout for that. And then I don't think this is getting recorded before, but just in case I will be on esoterica cinema. I'm doing a lot of podcasts. (laughs) Uh, Esoterica cinema to talk about the hustler and the color of money. The Scorsese movie. Um, Well, the Paul, the Paul Newman duology of uh, Fast Eddie Felsen, uh, which I watched recently and absolutely fell in love with. So they're letting me talk about that movie. And I think that's all. Well, where where you have been prolific on podcasts, I have been prolific in writing and <laughs> not so much on the podcast front. Um, so I have written quite a few things for Looper, which I'm hoping by the time this episode comes out will actually be live. Um, I did uh, a thing about films similar to Parasite, which basically just gave me a really good excuse to watch lots more Bong Joon-ho films um, and some other yeah. really great films as well. And finding the link to Psycho as well, another one of my favourite films to talk about. Um, I am also currently in the process of writing something on the 50 best space movies. Uh, see how many Spielberg ones I try and fit in that uh and there's another one that i can't remember off the top of my head oh disney i did the 60 best disney characters of all time ranked and no one has come for me on that so maybe my ranking is the best ranking and no one disagrees with me or i just haven't checked the comments section so (laughs) either way uh go and check those out uh it's the link in my twitter but it's looper.com forward slash author forward slash sarah buttery is where you can find everything nice and easily uh, in one place uh, you can find uh, us the podcast let's jaws for a minute on social media we are on twitter and finstagram uh, we are at jaws for a minute and if you wanted to follow us individually i am at sarah buttery and mj is at mj smith 891 if you head to either our twitter or instagram you can find our link tree the famous link tree in our bio and there you will find the link to our t public and Redbubble pages there you can purchase our merchandise courtesy of at hex ghosts on twitter you can also purchase our theme song uh, absolute banger uh, by at kristen falls music on instagram uh, the link to buy that is in her Bandcamp page which is also in her instagram bio as well as our link tree there is also the link to our coffee page uh, where for minimum of three pounds or three dollars you can buy us some virtual caffeine and in doing so you will get a shout out on the show uh, and be entered into our draw to win a t-shirt as well so definitely worth doing that if you are able to and finally uh, please rate review subscribe on your podcatcher of choice that really helps us out um, or better just tell all your friends uh, surreptitiously put references to the podcast in everything you write uh, just tell everyone you know to come and check us out uh, we would really appreciate that that's all for this week uh, until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere